that whole thing podcast, exploring what it means to live in wholeness. I'm your host, Ben DeLong. Thanks for joining me today. again on That Whole Thing podcast, and I'm really happy to have Matthew DiStefano on the podcast. Uh, Matthew is a the best-selling author of many books such as Heretic, The Blood of Abel, and All Set Free. He's a host of the Apostates Anonymous podcast, which, which recently began, and he's also the co-host of Bonfire Sessions and the Heretic Happy Hour, um, which is just one of the best uh, podcasts out there, I think. <laughs> And um, he's a social worker, and he lives not too far from me with his wife and his daughter up in Northern California. Thanks so much, man, for being on the podcast. Well, thank you. Let me start by asking, where do you live exactly, if you don't mind telling your listeners? (laughs) I live in Ukiah. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah, we are close, like maybe two hours away. I'm in Chico. Yeah, yeah, we're not far at all. Yeah. Yeah, well, um, after all this shit gets done, we'll have to get together. (laughs) Yeah. I apologize. My uh, the mailman must be here. My dog is losing his mind over here. Oh, okay. I I can't even hear it. <laughs> well, it's really funny actually because he he flips he flips out. Well, thanks for having me, Ben. I pr- I appreciate you uh, you inviting me on here. Yeah, for sure. So um, yeah, I've I've really enjoyed your work, the, the podcast, the writings, and um, and I know that you you've done a lot of work and and written about. Um, just the problem of violence and, and mimetic theory. And, and I thought that'd be really good to talk about. Um, I mean, I know for me, it was a big part of my journey of, of kind of deconstruction and kind of um, like reforming how I viewed God. Because, um, you know, the, the way that a lot of times we're, we're told to view God, you know, especially when we look at scripture and we're just like, yeah, every, you know, every part of scripture is valid. And then we're like, well, man, God kind of looks like an asshole sometimes. And and then it's like, well, then what, you know, what does he think of me then, you know, then it, it, it's hard to, I don't know, at least for me, it was very, it was a self-destructive pattern because it was like, well, I must not be a very good person then, you know? Yeah, I, I, I um, it's, it's interesting that violence for me was a big part of deconstruction as well. And for some people, especially divine violence or divine mandated violence, I mean, violence it's human anyway, right? So for some people, it's a problem. For some, it's not. But when it comes to divine violence, uh, there seems to be a large group of Christians who are like, cool with it. I I just wasn't. And for whatever whatever reason, like, I mean, even even as a young kid, a teenager reading passages about genocide and infanticide and, and just these mandates that seemed barbaric, it really bothered me. And I wasn't able to just like be okay with it like some people are. So it's fascinating that some people have that as a part of their journey and some people don't seem to. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was um, something that, that was a big, it was a big thing for me. And, and it was, I think one part that was frustrating was that, um, you know, I, I, I went to school uh, to go into ministry and I'm, I'm not doing ministry anymore, but um it was like, even at that level, like even at the seminary level, there just wasn't like, there wasn't a good answer. It was like, you know, like when, when you're a kid and, and you, you ask your parents something and, and they don't actually answer it. They just give you the parent response. 
Because I said. <laughs> yeah, or because I said, or they just give this response that makes no sense, but like yeah. you're just supposed to accept it. That's what it felt like, even at the seminary level. It was like, mm -hmm. I'm asking these honest questions. And it was just like, you know, yeah, but, you know, God gets to do you know, what he wants or whatever. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I suppose it's probably, probably depends on where you go to seminary, I would, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and and it's, you know, for the most part, I mean, I they were very, you know, it was very thoughtful stuff, but it felt like there were certain things where it's kind of like, yeah, we don't talk about that here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so when, when did that start? Um, like, how did that start becoming an issue for you? And, and you, you, and maybe you could talk about like your faith experience, like if you grew up in the faith or how that worked. Well, I mean, I grew up in a, uh, like a pretty dispensationalist rapture, um, hell, penal substitution atonement and Aaron Bible type of white conservative Christian church. Yeah. Um, so naturally when you have any sort of questions, you're, you're not going to get very great answers and the answers you get are going to leave you with even more questions. And if you're like me, you're going to keep asking and keep asking and eventually just walk away because, you know, I, I, yeah, I think about things critically. I, I analyze them rationally. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I use my right brain a lot, but my left brain as well. And I, I try to use my whole brain. And in, in some Christian churches, that's kind of frowned upon. Yeah. And so when I, when I ask questions about hell or about inerrancy or about divine violence or the rapture, and I didn't get great answers, um, I had to go seek those answers for myself. Like I had to study philosophy. I had to um, I had to start studying theology on, on, without the church, like without my pastors telling me the answers because, um, you know, I'm a curious person and I don't know how you cannot be. So, um, I started doing that. And so I, I started watching debates and, and listening to atheists and listening to Buddhists and Muslims and people that were not just my pastor and, and various types of Christianity and Christians and, learned the, the history of Christian thought rather than just what you're supposed to think. Mm -hmm. um, so when that, when that happens, it kind of opens up the whole space to explore um, a wide range, wide range of understandings of God. Yeah. And people didn't tell you about God in the church. They told you about their theology. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and it took me a while to realize that, but once I did, then it was like, okay, everything's kind of on the table here. And now I can, um, you know, deconstructed enough to kind of, to kind of, you know, p find things in the rubble that I liked or that I didn't like and get rid of the rest. And, um, and I say deconstructed enough because I don't think anyone ever stops deconstructing. I think they start to use better tools. Uh, maybe yeah. not a sledge, maybe not a sledgehammer and <laughs> all the time, but they, they start to get to more fine, fine to uh, fine tools that don't have to bulldoze the whole thing. Yeah. Um, so that's where I'm at now. I, I, I feel like, um, I've answered the, the, the answers I have about God, about the universe are satisfactory enough for me. And, yeah. and I, I like learning the ins and outs of how things work, but, um, I'm, I'm kind of at peace after having left the church and walked away from, well, I'll probably walked away from Christ Most people would consider walked away from Christianity. <laughs> yeah. I, it's, it's funny to me, you know, because, um, like you said, people, you know, they give you your, their theology and yet they don't, they, they don't even question that it is theology. 
and you know it's just it's just the truth and it's the way it is man this is if you if you don't like it take it up with god or take it up with the bible yeah Yeah, well and and that's so funny because you know when, when you start asking these kind of questions especially about violence you know a lot of times they'll say like well, haven't you read your Bible? And it's like, well, ha- have you? Like, have you have you looked at what Jesus says about this stuff? Like, yeah. you know, when you when you look at and that, that's, you know, I think for a lot of people that can be part of that deconstruction is like, you know, God is so violent and so retributive, you know, not in all parts of the Old Testament. Like, there's definitely you have different messages there, but but like with Jesus, it's like, you know, love your enemies and and forgive those who persecute you and and i will you know i will pray and forgive my enemies as they're like executing me like it's very different well what i i wish i could get if i could get christians to understand one thing it would be this no one reads the bible with a blank slate yeah you all uh put your own grid and filter onto the Bible, your own lived experiences, your own subjective experiences of the universe, of each other, of God, of yourself, of your own psychology. Uh, everyone does that. I've, I've, I've yet to meet anyone who uh, approaches it without some sort of presupposition in life, some sort of experience. So Christians need to realize they're not simply reading the Bible, they're interpreting the Bible. Everything yeah, is an interpretation. Yeah. Everything is about a hermeneutic, about how you exegete. Everything is, if you're going to, if you're going to care about the Bible, a lot of people don't care about the Bible. Fine. Um, great. I most, most days don't care what the Bible says, <laughs> but, <laughs> but if we are going to care about the Bible and I do, I, I, I love the Bible. Um, but I, but I'm not, but I don't create an idol out of it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you, you could tell me to read the Bible and I could tell you to read the Bible and um, we could both take it seriously and come up with vastly different conclusions. Yeah. And, and I would love the conservative fundamentalist evangelical to realize that their conclusion doesn't mean it's right. Like, yeah. Well, something that has um, helped people like understand this dynamic a lot more um, is mimetic theory. And as I mentioned, that's something that you've, you've worked on that you've written a lot about and um i i think it can be helpful in talking about this and um i wonder if you could just kind of you know because it, it it can get a little complex but if you could give a you know a little bit of an overview of what that is yeah so um yeah a lot of uh really long complicated books have been written by gerard and and those who had followed about mimetic theory and I'll, I'll say this it's not it's not a um it's not a theory of everything it's not going to explain everything. It's not going to explain every human behavior, everything in the Bible, but it's a super helpful tool in helping us understand human behavior, human culture, mm-hmm. why, why we write our mythologies the way we do, why we scapegoat one another. Um, so it's essentially a theory of desire and it, it, it helps explain why we desire what we desire why we take on um, the desires of others or the perceived desires of others, those who are closest to us, uh, celebrities, politicians, whatever. Um, and when we, our behavior is kind of a mimic of one another. Um, a big part of that theory is that when violence happens, and surely it's going to happen if we both desire the same thing and we can only, maybe there's only three of them and five of us desire it. Um, we're not very good sharers. <laughs> um, yeah. a, a part of that, uh, um, 
leads to violence, obviously, in a community or in a culture. And what kind of quells the violence is a certain type of violence called scapegoating, where we uh, pour our wrath and our violence onto a surrogate, onto someone from the community who's like us in many ways, but maybe a little bit unlike us in, in some ways. So um, any, any sort of minority group ten, tends to be a good scapegoat, LGBTQ, black folks in America, brown folks in America. Um, anyone who is a part of the community, but it, it, we can otherize pretty easily. Yeah. And, and when we do this, uh, we, we get peace and catharsis and, that is, that is a big part of how religion is born, how sacrifices are made and rituals. And um, like you said, it can get very, very complicated and complex. Um, and so that's why we write books about it. Because <laughs> <laughs> we can't really sum it up in, in 20 minutes. Although when you understand it, it's very simple and, and, and practical. It helps, it, it helps explain practical things pretty simply. So it's kind of a paradox. It's, it's very complicated and it's also very simple. How would you describe the contribution it makes in, as far as like talking about how we understand victims? Um, well, I, in, in the world of, let's just say the world of um, theology or Christian theology, it helps explain why there's so much victimization throughout our mythologies, including the Bible. Mm -hmm. and, and I think it, it sheds light on the fact that, and this is a reason I still like the Bible in spite of the violence and in spite of the violence that's it, it's been used to justify. Um, it actually, when compared to other mythologies, does a much better job of taking the side of the victim, of lifting yeah. up the victim, of hearing the voice of the victim. Um, I'll compare two stories, two ancient mythologies. Um, I, I do this in my books because it's a really good one. Um, in, in Roman mythology, you have a story of Romulus and Remus, two brothers, you'll recognize the parallels, two brothers that are debating on where to found a city. Where, where are they going to put Rome? Well, it's not Rome yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> where are they going to found a city? They, are, they argue over some interpretation of birds flying over or whatever. Um, they get into a, an argument. Romulus kills Remus and then founds the city of Rome. Rome, Romulus. Um, mm. And you don't hear from Remus ever, ever again, right? Like Romulus yeah. is the champion of the story. Romulus is the hero. Well, in the biblical narrative, you have Cain and Abel. We all know the story. Um, they have a, a uh, Cain is jealous over Abel's uh, favor that God has for the sacrifice. And so Cain gets jealous and kills Abel. Now in the, in the biblical mythology, uh, you have the voice of Abel after that, right? So yeah. God says, your brother's blood cries from, from the grave. Well, this is really uh, fascinating and interesting because then you, you, you don't just have like um, the old story that, you know, uh, victors tell the stories, history is written by the victors. And there's some of that in the Bible too. Yeah. But really, really for the first time, you have a different perspective perspective like hey this wasn't cool this was a murder yeah um you know it's not cool that you killed me and so you have that perspective too and then that thread is is woven throughout the bible um it's not perfect of course mm -hmm. you have victimization in the bible but you have um christians need to read the whole bible together and not just pick yeah. and choose things yeah 
Yeah, because you have, um, you, you know, you definitely have, like you said, victimiz victimization. You have, you know, God who at times seems to look like all the other, the gods and the other ancient myths, how he yeah. is violent and retributive. But then you have like God being on the side of slaves, which was unheard of. You had God saying like, look out for the foreigner because you were a foreigner. I mean, that, that just was foreign. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's that's really one reason why I I do my best to not call it the New Testament or the Old Testament or to say, oh, God was like this back then. And, and God's always been God. And, and I don't think God changes in that way. He's not like there's not a dispensation of wrath and then a dispensation of grace. And, you know, um, and, and this, you got to read the whole story. You got to read the whole narrative, the whole Jewish story. And it sure it can culminate in Jesus. That's fantastic. Um, but that revelation that God is like Jesus is woven throughout the whole story. I think, I think you have the gospel in um, Joseph's story. Mm, you know, Joseph yeah. is scapegoated amongst his brothers because there's a prophecy or an oracle about how they'll all worship him one day. And, and, you know, they, they go to kill him. I think it's Benjamin actually saves him. They throw him in a pot. He ends up in Egypt. He rises to vizier. And then, you know, uh, there's a big famine, right? So then the brothers have to come and, and uh, he eventually reveals himself and he shows mercy to them. Like yeah. they, they, you know, and, and it's by his showing mercy that, that that's how the Oracle is fulfilled. Mm. Um, they, they start to, you know, bow down to him after he shows that mercy and, and forgiveness, even though they left him out to die, they were going to kill him. And so you've got yeah. God, you've got gospel throughout the whole of Hebrew and Christian scriptures. Yeah. When you have the new Testament of the Christian scriptures, you know, you have Paul talking about Jesus, like undoing the, the religious system, but then you also have like in the old Testament, you know, they have that sacrificial system because that's what people did in that time. But then there's so many times where, there's another voice that comes through that says like, I don't want sacrifice. Like I want mercy. Like I, you know, I never wanted sacrifice. Yeah. And, and frankly, like it, um, the whole story, it takes us away from sacrifice. Like, like when Abraham goes to kill Isaac, like sac sacrificing your firstborn son is like presupposed. That's what everyone does. Yeah. Um, so the fact like, the shocking part of the story is not that he goes up to Mount Moriah, I believe, um, to kill Isaac. The story is that, and some Jewish scholars think he did anyway, but, um, <laughs> and returned the down the mountain by himself. But the, the, the shocking point of the story is that he doesn't sacrifice Isaac. And, and so there's a move away from human sacrifice presupposition to animal sacrifice. And then from animal sacrifice to, like, why are we even, why are we sacrificing this? Um, yeah. What's, and then we get to the new, we get to the, the, the Christian scriptures and we get, we get this phrase like a living sacrifice. Like mm. what in the, in the ancient world, what the hell is a living sacrifice, <laughs> right? So we get the sacrificial language, but it's kind of reversed the whole thing. Like you're a living yeah. sacrifice. So we, we've allegorized and rethought um, what sacrifice, what good sacrifice can be. Mm as you mentioned like scapegoating was such a, a huge mechanism and it it's something that starts to get the rug pulled out from underneath it with 
Cain and Abel, the story of that, and just on the side of the victim. And then, you know, Jesus comes along and, and he, you know, in his teaching, he goes against that. Like he teaches to love your enemies. He, um, he lets himself be victimized. Like he lets himself become the scapegoat. And then, but it's the same thing, like you're saying, like in, in the other passages, he comes out on the other side and he doesn't ask for vengeance. Yeah. Yeah. Could you imagine um, you've killed God or the son of God and you've heard he's returned. <laughs> like, oh shit. Yeah. Can, yeah. I cuss? Yeah. Can I cuss on this podcast? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, I mean, it, it must be, yeah, we, we'd think it today. Like, oh man, if I, let's say I took you out behind, you know, and dumped your body in the river and, Ben DeLong was killed by Matt. And then I heard three days later, no, I, I just saw that dude. He's back. And it's like, oh, <laughs> but Jesus doesn't do that. Right. And, and he, um, he shows up in the upper room in John 20 and he, uh, the spirit, the Holy spirit, and this is a, a good marker on, you know, you get these Christians who say, oh, the, the Holy spirit told me, this is the context of the Holy spirit. Forgive others as I have forgiven you. Like the first words out of his mouth is peace, like mm-hmm. peace, shalom, yeah. Um, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm so unprofessional. I have my Facebook open. Um, <laughs> get notifications. Gonna, it's going to uh, annoy me. Um, you, you don't get the vengeful Holy Spirit. You get the, the um, which there's no such thing as the vengeful Holy Spirit. Yeah. You, get the, you get the same spirit that Jesus had on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What's the yeah. first thing out of his mouth when he returns? Like he shows up to the dudes who are scared and he's like, peace. Go forgive other people in the same way I forgave you. How did he forgive us? Paul tells us while we were yet sinners, like forgiveness yeah. comes first and that changes our mind and our behavior. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting that if I'm remembering right, when, when Paul talks about like, when he says, you know, I was the worst of sinners, like he's not talking about like, oh, I was drinking or whatever. Like he's like, he's like, I was a violent person. Yeah, I was I was killing the the people that were following the actual God, and and it, God was not like what I thought He was. Yeah, and this this is a really big question, you know. But like, it it just makes you wonder how did we get from that to you know? And of course, there's other times in history when Christianity took on violence. Um, but like when when you look at the the evangelical church and and how the kinds of things that they endorse and um you know that they i i if i remember right you know i read that they um that they promote torture you know they're okay with torture more than other people you know and they they're okay with war and and the kind of things that they support it's like how did we how did we get to that you know yeah that's a million dollar question i don't know if i have um the next three weeks to talk about it but um... (laughs) Uh, I, I think uh, we've we have had a fractured church from the get go. I mean, there yeah. might have been there might have been like three weeks where the church was unified. No, maybe <laughs> longer than that. I but there, the point being is that um, I don't think the church was as unified as we like to think. Um, oh, back yeah. in the early church, they were doing well. Okay, some of that, but um, I think they were fractured from the start. But specifically, how it came to violence. I mean, we can certainly blame Constantine. We can blame the theology of Tertullian and, and uh, uh, Augustine or Augustine, however you want to pronounce it, um, because that, that theology certainly has been used to endorse violence and burning heretics at the stake and Christian crusades and things like that. Um, 
specifically how like evangelicalism has become mainly right-wing American politics that, you know, that's a question probably for someone else, but um, it's, it's, it's somewhat recently in the last 50 years where it has really been infused. And I think um, a lot of it had to do with the abortion issue. A lot of it had to do with uh, Reagan's no say no on drugs and all that kind of stuff. And Mm -hmm. I think as soon as the Christian church started to marry itself with um, right-wing politics to the place where it's gotten now, which Mm -hmm. is like beyond ridiculous. um, You know, it's, it's incremental. It's a, it's a slow burn for a while and then it picks up steam you know, I always say like Trump is Trump, you know, if we want to talk about Trump is not, is not the, um, the reason for all of our problems because Trump, Trump as a president, um, doesn't exist without problems, um, already being there. Like you, a, a healthy society does not elect someone like Donald Trump. Yeah. Um, so, you know, this thing builds and builds and builds and, and, um, you know, the big question is how we get out of it. And, and that I don't know. I really don't know. Talking to people, education, read Keith Giles book on, on untangling your, um, your politics from, from Christianity. I don't know. Yeah. But you have to be, you have to be willing to do that though. Yeah. You have to desire that first and then go learn. Yeah. Well, and you know, we're talking about memetic theory and, and all this stuff. It's, you know, it, and and what the gospel is throughout scripture, it just shows how like powerful and how revolutionary like forgiveness really is. It feels so many times like it goes against our nature because it's like, yeah, there there are people who have been so so victimized in our society. Um, yeah. and yet retaliation and retribution isn't the answer either. That just continues the cycle. So like there something something's gotta give there, but I think forgiveness is definitely a part of it. Yeah, I think um, I think forgiveness can be abused. And, you know, um, for instance, like black people have, all, have been kind of like held down. Oh, just forgive. You got to just forgive, yeah, forgive, yeah. forgive. So I think I think there's a there's a time and a place to be really angry. There's a time and a place to be, you know, um, upset and injustices about systemic racism, about bigotry. Um, but you're right, at least at what my experience is. And I, I, I use the example of my father who uh, left when I was a kid, he blamed me. Um, I'm still estranged, I don't speak with him. Um, but in order to, to be myself free from all of that hate and anger, I had to forgive him. Yeah. And that doesn't mean I'm reconciled. That doesn't mean he doesn't have to own shit in order for us to be reconciled. But it means I am able to live without a grudge, without anxiety about it, without stress about it. And so I think first and foremost, forgiveness is for yourself. And I don't think even people are ready to hear that you've forgiven them. Mm, yeah. So, so that's a big thing. I think that's a big difference. I think we forgive internally first. We forgive others internally for ourselves so that yeah. we, don't, we don't hold a grudge on someone in hostility and and all the bad things that it probably does to us physiologically and to our bodies, you know? Um, and then I think we have to, we have to approach the relationship if there is any relationship and, and with some discernment 
and, and judge for ourselves whether that person's ready to hear our forgiveness or not. Yeah. Ready. Are they going to be ready to hear it? Um, Cause maybe if they're not, maybe it's just not worth it even talking to them about it. Yeah. And it just, it just shows for me, like, and this has been, like I said, a big part of why I've read about and, and learned about and studied this stuff is violence, you know, can be woven th- so deeply into like the evangelical gospel. And, you know, and you mentioned before, like, you know, the way we think about hell, the way we think about the atonement, like it can all be revolved around violence and violence is like a disease. And it, and it's, you know, it's, it's a disease on like, if, if I think God is that way, then it's, it's a disease on my self image, you know? Sure. It's, it's, um, if, if I think that's how God acts, then, you know, we, we act in the way that we worship God, you know, the God we worship, we follow after him. And that, messes with our relationships like it's a disease that just messes so many things up and i think it's so important to show like that's not at all like what jesus was modeling for us no no but but you're right the uh, violence is um is woven throughout the evangelical gospel because violence is the gospel for them mm. and they will tell you they will tell you that straight face the, they will tell you the got what the gospel is and they will um, lay out their their Calvinistic penal substitution atonement theory, and that to them is the gospel, and that is violence. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll I'll give a ca- caveat to to violence. I don't think force is synonymous with violence. So, for for your listeners who are wondering, um, you know, if I'm a pacifist, I'm not in that way. Like I will use force. Um, I worked in group homes where I restrained kids and put hands on kids and, and kept them safe when they were fighting. And um, I know there are some pacifists who would, wouldn't do that. Um, and I would, as their manager would have fired them if they wouldn't have done that, because sometimes you have to do that. Yeah. Um, so I differentiate between force and violence and I'm more interested in retributive violence and um, that kind of violence when I, when I talk about it. And it's that kind of violence we have to get, get out of our theology. We have to get out of our ethics um, because you're like you said, and like mimetic theory would tell us, we will follow the God we believe in. Mm-hmm. And Christians can say to their blue in the face that, that I'm not going to, God can do that. And I'm not going to, and that's great. Most people are better than their theology, but there will still be people who will follow their God. And if their God is violent, they have, uh, they're more prone to violence. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, I I think that's a good distinction that you talked about just with pacifism, because like somewhat related to that, you know, we can go so far to say like, well, then, you know, if we're going to follow Jesus, then we just, we just all need to be nice to each other. And I know that um, on Facebook, like, you take a lot of flack sometimes because people are like, well, you're, why aren't you just being nice? You know, <laughs> like, like, yeah. and it's like, well, sometimes you have to like call shit out. Well, and here's the deal. Jesus was not nice. Yeah. Um, I think there's a differentiation between niceness and kindness. I, I'm a yeah. very kind, I'm a very kind person. I'm not, I don't play nice though. And I don't think Jesus played nice. And I certainly know Paul did not play nice. Yeah. Um, Paul told people to cut their, cut their genitals off. Um, yeah. Jesus called people a brood of vipers and whitewashed tombs. People did not like Jesus. He was probably brash and he probably um, was off-putting and rubbed people the wrong way. Yeah. And I'm not, and I'm not saying I do, I do that online because, because I'm just trying to be like Jesus, brother. 
Um, I'm just being me. Like I'm being real. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would rather be real and, and have to be like, sorry, God, like I've for, you know, I was probably an asshole a couple of times. Definitely for sure. Um, but, but at least I was being real and no one can say I'm lying. Yeah. Like I'm not, I'm not lying about any of this. I could be wrong about a lot of stuff, Yeah. but like, I will say it like it is and you'll know where I stand. And I think that's better than passive aggressiveness or not knowing where someone stands. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I, I like how you put that, that, that Jesus was probably brash sometimes because there, there definitely seems to be times that he, he did things purposefully in a way to like get on people's nerves and to like totally. put them like when he heals, you know, I think Derek Blood talks about that when, when he heals the man on the Sabbath, like he didn't have to do it that day. Like he could have waited till the next day, but he's like, he's, he's putting them in a place. Like he, he's showing them how hypocritical they are. Yeah. He's trying to make a point like, yeah. and he know, and, and certainly Jesus knew human behavior enough and knew his contemporaries enough to be like, this is going to piss him off. Yeah. But I'm gonna, but I'm going to do it anyway. And I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to catch, I'm going to catch some heat for this, but you know, it's sometimes you just got to do what you got to do and, and point out, yeah. Point out people's hypocrisy, point out people's, um like missteps on this it's just because i would want i want the same thing done to me like i need to be put in my place sometimes too like yeah. we all we yeah. all do we all have blind spots we all need to sometimes the best thing you can do like for a friend is to hear it real like yeah. hey real real talk i need to say this to you right now um yeah if you respect the person like you'll you'll be kind but you might not be nice yeah. Yeah. I was actually just talking today to somebody because my, my spiritual director is like, I'm, I'm not, I am not a blunt confrontational person. Um, and he, he's not cause he likes to be, he's just like, he, he's able to do that stuff and he's able to just be blunt with me sometimes. And I am super emotional and I can get caught up in just melancholy and stuff. And sometimes he has to be like, dude, knock it off. You know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes that's what we got to hear, man. Yeah. Well, there's, there's something that, um, you, you mentioned on Facebook a, a little while ago, you were talking about like, there's, there's words, there's key words that like people just like use really quickly and they overuse it and they use it in the wrong like way. And, and what, yeah. one of those words you mentioned, and, and I totally, I, I've seen that as the word scapegoating and yeah. as, especially I, I've seen it a lot to where, because that, that word is getting a bit uh, a little more popular and and mm -hmm. so and because especially because we're talking about um, racial injustice and talking about how minorities have been scapegoated and then but people latch onto those words and like people who yeah. are in power and they're like well you telling me my wrong that's that's you scapegoating me and it's like no yeah <laughs> that's not how it works i don't know could and but maybe a lot of people don't like understand that yeah, I, I use that term and gaslighting is another one and uh, I forget what the other one, but yeah, scapegoating uh, typically gets used on social media like anytime you criticize someone. And yeah, so if you, yeah. if you critique Trump or if you could, you know, Trump's a big one. And, and certainly um, some people have attempted to scapegoat Trump. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, when he was running in 2016, I heard a great line and this will kind of sum up the difference between critiquing the system and the system that Trump Trumpism is yeah, and, yeah. and, and, and scapegoating the man. I yeah. heard a, a GOP candidate when Trump was running for the, um, the GOP nomination in 2016 or 15, uh, probably. Yeah. Either one. I mean, he campaigns all the time. I cannot 
I cannot <laughs> remember how long his campaign was. Um, someone said uh, the Republican Party will be fine if we just get rid of Trump. Mm. Oh yeah, and, yeah. And so, so we got to we got to differentiate between scapegoating and just criticizing. So the the scapegoat is what unifies the group um, yeah. at the expense of who that is. But I think if to and I'll say a different phrase. Um, that will critique Trump, but won't scapegoat him. If scapegoat him, if they would have said, uh, "We need to figure out why Trump is so popular," and, and and because this kind of behavior isn't representative of the Republican Party, if they would have mm. said that, we need yeah. to get we need to get behind and and we need to we need to um, heal that brokenness that leads to people being enamored by someone like Trump and, mm -hmm. and, and address those issues, those systemic issues within the Republican party. If they would have said that, that wouldn't have been scapegoating, but they just wanted when, if you and I had some issues and we wanted to start gossiping, we start gossiping about someone else that lends itself to scapegoating. Simple critique is, is much, much different. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and typically, Typically, it's people on the fringes of society who become scapegoats. Yes, we can scapegoat the king and the ruler and, and the state leader, but typically it's those on the fringes of society that we can oust, that we can put our problems, our blame, you know, I'll put all of our problems onto their shoulders. If we were to say tomorrow that if we just get rid of Trump, America will be fine again, America will be great, that would be scapegoating. Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying, and a lot of people are saying, we need to figure out what's underneath Trump and Trumpism and get to those problems, the systemic problems, the drug war, the systemic racism, the justice yeah. system, um, our foreign policy and why it's so war forward, um, our economic policy and, and uh, crony capitalism. We, we can do all that. The minute we put all that on Trump, that's, yeah. scape, that's scapegoating and it's not a solution to the problem. Yeah. It, it might kick the can down the road in 2021, might be decent, but eventually the chickens will come home to roost. Yeah, that's, that's a really good explanation because, yeah, I, I think that's something that a, a lot of people have, have a hard time grasping. But, it's, but it is, it's, it's so important to talk about this stuff and, and hopefully people to understand that because um, a lot of people get really, I, I heard somebody say, like, if you, if you've been allowed all your life to go around and punch anybody in the face that you want, and then somebody says, Hey, you can't do that anymore. It feels like you're being persecuted, <laughs> you know, because they're taking away like what you have the right to do. And it, and I think we definitely see that, you know, it's like, we, we want to make a more just world and the people that have had a lot of the rights and privileges that other people haven't are, you know, they're almost like they are taking it as persecution. Yeah, we certainly have a persecution complex, especially um, white Christians, uh, maybe in America, maybe elsewhere. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't think most of us understand what true persecution means. And yeah. you're right. Like, we have to get people to realize that racial equality does not mean that white people will then be uh, targeted in the same mm -hmm. way black people. Are. It's not. Um, we are lucky that black people are so patient that they're, they're all for they're sure. asking is for equality and not uh, vengeance or retribution. Um, same with gay marriage. Like 
you, Mr. Straight, heterosexual man, are not going to, your marriage is not in jeopardy because gay people can get married. Yeah. Like, ruining the sanctity of marriage, please, like, ridiculous. People are on their third and fourth marriage, and I'm not going to condemn them, but with that logic, they've already ruined the sanctity of marriage. Yeah. You, you don't need to worry about what gay people are doing. So get over yourself. You're not being persecuted just because other people are getting the same damn rights that you have gotten. And, and again, this, this might be another just super big question that we can't even get into, but, um, and but we can, we can scratch the surface. Yeah, least. we can scratch the surface. Uh, you know, how, how do we, cause it, people get, and, and everybody does, this is instinctual, but people get so defensive. It's, it's funny because a lot of people are, okay with what happened at the Capitol. And, mm. um, and they're like, well, we, you know, well, we don't feel like we're being hurt either. And I was like, yeah, but for hundreds of years, like have, you know, like, like, how are you comparing that to one of the other? Like, like, but, but it's because we become defensive and it's like, I, I don't know what to do about that. Like, I don't know how you get people to listen, but. Well, here's what you do. And here's what I've done. Um, a lot about what Buddhism is, is about letting go and non-grasping. So if everyone would just start studying Buddhism and practicing it, we would be much healthier. Mm. <laughs> no, that's an overly simplistic thing. But I think there is, um, there is something to the fact of holding, if we're going to hold on to anything, we hold it loosely. Like there's a baby bird in our hands. Um, religious folks, we, we, we talk about Christians a lot because we're in a, you know, predominantly Christian Christianity yeah. is our predominant faith in, in America yeah. um, and it's our context. So uh, a lot of Christian folks are gripping things white knuckled. They have to be certain. And the minute that there is a little break in that, the minute something is tugging on it, um, we want to tug it back. Yeah. And we've got this problem with grasping and, and not letting go. I, and that is so egoic. It takes yeah. a lot of mindfulness. It takes a lot of inner work. It takes probably counseling and therapy for a lot of people. Um, it takes meditation and, and just being rather than always doing and thinking. And, and, and so it, it takes a lot of work and inner work is really hard. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Um, it's why I laugh at, um, people who have deconstructed who say I deconstructed now I'm reconstructing. Mm -hmm. But all they've really done is they've taken a sledgehammer to theology. You haven't even done work on the self, on human sexuality, your personal sexuality, all these things. So the minute you say you're, you're done deconstructing, I think is, is, is the minute you should realize that there is proof that you haven't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because so, and, and um, working on yourself is one of those things we need to deconstruct yeah yeah that's really good because because well, because honestly like when i started writing i got so much hate and yeah. i would have to clap back all the time and mm -hmm. that's part of the that's part of the defensiveness that's where a lot of yeah, these people are yeah. that's the that's the mindset that we're in when we're storming the capital or defending that kind of shit yeah. um as you go in life hopefully you mature and you become more of an adult you realize I don't have to defend this anymore. It means nothing to me if someone disagrees with me. Yeah. If someone's respectful and I respect them and we want to talk about it, fine. But yeah. I, don't need, I don't need to clap back. I still do from time to time. But then again, we all have an ego. Yeah. Uh, I, and then again, I'm not done deconstructing. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
And if you go out, if you go on my social media on a day that I'm having a shitty day, you'll, yeah, that'll be proof that I'm not done deconstructing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're, uh, you're, you're real on there, whether you're having a good day or not. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, I, I need yeah. someone to take it away when I'm having a bad day sometimes though. <laughs> yeah. But, but then again, sometimes, you know, uh, we're also in this culture of, especially as men, toxic men, um, shoving shit down. And yeah. then it builds and builds and builds and we never, uh, we don't have that pressure release valve. And sure, we can say some stuff that uh, we probably shouldn't in the heat of the moment. But then again, we need, to, we need safe places where we can vent and say whatever yeah. we want without yeah. repercussion, you know, it's healthy. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I, um, something I'm starting to ask people because I'm kind of talking about wholeness more. And, and I think this whole thing is really um, relevant to that, you know, just because I, as I talked about, like, you know, the, the God that we worship, like forms us and it's, it's, I don't, I don't know how you live as a whole person. If you think God is like out to get you all the time. And, yeah. um, but what, what's, um, what's helping you experience wholeness or whatever word you would use for that? What's helping you these days? Um, just being in the moment as best as I can. Um, yeah. I think all of the great spiritual leaders and mystics in all the faith traditions would emphasize now would emphasize the present moment and just trying to like have this conversation for instance, cause this is what we're doing now without where, you know, what's next or without, Oh, did I check off the, all the boxes of what I needed to do beforehand? Yeah. Um, and then when this conversation is over and maybe I'll go make dinner, hopefully my wife will, <laughs> um, <laughs> And, uh, um, but I'll hang out with them and cause I haven't seen them all day. I'll be present with them yeah. rather, rather than what do I got tomorrow? What's on my agenda tomorrow? You got to work, blah, blah, blah. Just as having as much time as possible in this present moment and aware of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's really good. It's, it's, um, it's like so simple, but it's like, it's hard. <laughs> it's, hey, I think, I think most of the truths of the universe are paradoxical. So it's, it's, it's both the most simple and the most difficult thing in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before we go, do you want to mention um, what you're working on where people can uh, find you? Yeah, I well, Thank you for asking. Um, depending on when this uh, releases, um, I have the bonfire sessions series of booklets is uh, now done. Well, at least the first year. Okay. So, so um, if you go to allsetfree.com, you can find links to all those booklets as well as my other books and essays and podcasts. Um, so, and I think all my social media links are on allsetfree.com. Okay. So if you just want to go there and browse that site, I've got a lot of cool stuff for you. And, um, you know, depending on what you're looking for. Yeah. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a one-stop shot for everything. Yeah. Go, go see Matthew's stuff. There. There's a lot of good stuff. There are a lot of good books, articles. Um, the podcasts are great. If you, if you ever just need a good laugh, just listen to Heretic Happy Hour. It's just, <laughs> it's just so fun to listen to you guys on there. Well, thank you. Yeah. That thing has really taken off over the last, uh, well, we're in our fourth year now. So mm, yeah, it's pretty, yeah. pretty exciting. Yeah. yeah I, I do enjoy cool. it. Well, thanks again. Thank you for having me, man. Appreciate yeah. it.